Hi, I'm Frank Ferris, one of the principals of the Palliative Care Interdisciplinary Curriculum. I want to personally thank you for joining us for this module in our series on symptom management. Hello, I'm Jillian Gustin. I'm a palliative medicine physician at The Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio, and today we will be talking about malignant bowel obstruction. My goal for this talk is first to describe the causes of malignant bowel obstruction and then hopefully to outline for you different approaches to manage it. So let's dig in. What exactly is malignant bowel obstruction? At its very core, it's ineffective motility or an occlusion of the lumen that prevents your patient from having bowel movements. It's often a complication of advanced cancers, particularly primary abdominal and pelvic cancers such as ovarian, cervical, colorectal, esophageal. It also can be a complication of metastatic disease from other primary cancers. It can occur in the large or the small bowel. It can be partial or complete, and we'll talk a little bit about this when it comes to treatment. And it often portends a very poor prognosis. So for our patients who have inoperable malignant bowel obstruction, their prognosis is in the order of four to six weeks. The other important thing to recognize for malignant bowel obstruction is it has a very strong impact on quality of life for both our patients and for their families. So let's dig into that just a little bit. How does malignant bowel obstruction actually affect our patients and their families? I'd like to introduce you to the husband of a patient of ours, Marin Bean. She died from advanced ovarian cancer a few years ago and unfortunately experienced complete bowel obstruction. And here, we're gonna hear from her husband with two of our clinicians about what that experience was for them. Um, Labor Day of 17 was horrible. She just had, pardon me, Labor Day of 16 was horrible. She had just had an admission um, for sepsis. She had line sepsis. Um, she had to explant everything, her port, she had percutaneous nephrostomy tubes, and had to take everything out and start over. She came home and she was miserable. Um, oh, oh, and throughout that entire time, she had a malignant bowel obstruction, which is, other than symptomatic treatment, pr pretty, pretty hard to manage. Um, she came home and was at the end of August of 16, and we woke up one morning and she said, I can't do this anymore. And I... I it, it, I, she was supposed to start chemo the following week, and I said, I agree. And it was the, the worst morning ever, and we called hospice, and she was miserable. Uh, a hospice intake nurse came out and couldn't get her symptoms under control at home, so we came here. We spent our Labor Day here in 2016, um, and a godsend was Dr. Hudak. And Dr. Hudak and I met for coffee a couple days ago, and we were kind of reminiscing about that day. And I'm, I'm an ER doctor, so by nature we're pretty aggressive folks. I said to Dr. Hudak, I said, here's what I want. I want my wife to be able to sleep at night. I want her to die at home. I want her to be awake during the day so she can play with our boys and enjoy them because I knew time was limited. And I think you were, it was a big ask, right? I, I think... 
I said, oh, is that all? Is that all? <laughs> and what was Marin doing 48 hours later? She was eating cornflakes. And I remember being quite nervous about that because I was like, couldn't you have taken it a little easier? She went right for the gusto. So now that you've heard the story of Marin Bean, let's take a moment to think about how this came to be for Marin. We need to think about the causes and the pathophysiology of malignant bowel obstruction. There's a myriad of causes of malignant bowel obstruction, and I'm not going to read all of these off the slide, but I do want to point you to just a few. For those that are primary uh, GI or pelvic cancers, we often see tumor invasion, extrinsic compression, or peritoneal carcinomatosis as the primary causes of malignant bowel obstruction. So how does this work? Well, before we can think about the pathophysiology, let's think about what normally happens in our GI tract. What's our normal fluid balance? So every day, as you're going about your business, your GI tract is constantly putting out secretions into the lumen in the order of 8 to 12 liters per day. As the food that you're eating makes its way through the small bowel into the colon, what we see is many of those secretions then get reabsorbed in the colon with only a very small amount coming out in your feces. The body's an amazing thing that we can put secretions in and pull secretions out and keep this balance throughout the day. Unfortunately, for patients like Marin, this fluid balance gets off kilter. Our body continues to produce those 8 to 12 liters of secretions every day. But with her ovarian cancer, she has multiple levels of obstruction throughout her GI tract, such that she's not able to reabsorb those secretions. And that's what causes that whole cascade of symptoms that we're about to discuss. So let's dig a little bit deeper. How does this work? So think about a patient like Marin. She takes in some content. I don't know what it was that she wanted to eat. I think she said cornflakes, if I recall. So she takes those cornflakes in. It goes through her, her GI tract, the small bowel. Lots of secretions are coming in there. And then there's nowhere for it to go. And she ends up with some distension within her intestines. With that distension follows inflammation and edema of the bowel wall, which then creates the cyclical uh, experience of more secretions, and there's nowhere for it to go. So imagine you have a hose, and it's cut off, and water just keeps going through. That's what she's experiencing, and because there's no forward flow, she becomes nauseous and gets relief when she vomits. The other thing that we know that happens as the bowel wall gets distended because there's no forward flow, the bowel wall wants to keep moving. It keeps pushing. It doesn't know that it can't push things through. That's where the pain and the colic come from. And as you heard, for patients like Marin, this is incredibly uncomfortable. So now that we've reviewed the causes of malignant bowel obstruction, and the pathophysiology that causes the tremendous suffering for our patients.
let's think about how we can help them. How can we manage not only the bowel obstruction itself, but also the symptoms associated with it? So here's the outline of what we're going to talk about next, because there are a few very key points that we need to think about as we come up with our treatment plans. The first is, what is the prognosis? And that should guide what we do. And part of thinking about the prognosis has to do with whether the bowel obstruction is partial or complete. And then as we think about our treatment options, are we taking an interventional approach with surgeries and such, or are we taking a more medical approach? So let's look at those next. So let's think about how do we manage malignant bowel obstructions based on prognoses. If your patient has a prognosis of years, then it's likely you would like to go down the surgical route. Is there a tumor that we can completely resect and anastomose the bowel? That's ideal. At the same time, you may need to employ some supportive care measures like medications, stents, or short-term venting gastrostomy tubes. If the patient has a prognosis of months, which often is what we're seeing in palliative care, surgery or stents may still be possible, and we'll touch on that in a moment. Supportive care is always important. Can you manage the symptoms? And then in this case, you may want to think about parenteral nutrition. The reasons to think about parental nutrition are twofold. One, you may have a very slow-growing tumor, and you want to support your patient with some supplemental nutrition through parenteral means. Or, what if you have a patient who has a life goal that they're trying to reach? Perhaps a son's graduation from high school in a few months. Can you support them with nutritional supplementation through parenteral means to help them live that little bit longer to make that important goal? This is all part and parcel of why it's so important that we talk to our patients and we know what do they value, what are their goals, so that we can make sure when we're coming up with treatment plans, it meets those values and goals. And then for those patients who have prognoses of days to weeks, our best bet is to focus on supportive care. And we'll talk a little bit about what that would look like. So let's start with the surgical interventions. There's many that you can see here on the slide. Resection that we've talked about. You can do some debulking. Sometimes you can even do a diversion. There's some stents that you can put in both the large or the small bowel. And then we touched on earlier that idea of either a nasogastric tube or a percutaneous uh, gastrostomy tube. And the idea here is to try and deal with all of those secretions that they have and give them some relief, give them a place to go. Here's the caveat. Surgery usually is not offered if patients have a prognosis of two months or less, or if they have other factors that our surgical colleagues know portend a very poor outcome. Those factors might be advanced age, malnutrition, poor performance status, or just multiple levels of occlusion that it'll be hard for them to manage from a surgical intervention. 
So let's next talk about the stepwise approach to medical management of malignant bowel obstruction. You've all seen this before. This is the pathophysiology of what causes the suffering for our patients. And so how do we impact this? First, I want us to focus on partial malignant bowel obstruction, not complete. And the goal here for partial is get the bowels moving. So how do we do that? The first is, think about a prokinetic. Can you help move things through the gut, pushing them down? Examples of prokinetics that we have here in the United States would be metoclopramide. I recognize that other places in the world, there are many other prokinetics that are used and may be very beneficial. Then, can you impact all that inflammation, all that bowel wall edema that's making it harder for the bowels to move things forward? Your best medication here is a steroid like dexamethasone, which is an anti-inflammatory. And lest we forget, please, please, please make sure that you are using medications to treat the symptom. Can we give our patients antiemetics that help just deal with that nausea and vomiting, like haloperidol? We often have found as well that H2 blockers and PPIs can be quite effective in helping to manage that nausea and vomiting. And finally, don't forget the pain. Our patients really struggle with the pain from partial malignant bowel obstructions. So go ahead and use some analgesics, but if you can, use them sparingly. Because remember, the goal here for partial malignant bowel obstructions, get the bowels moving. And we know many of our analgesics slow the bowel down. So what I have for you here on this slide is a chart of suggested dosing for the medications we just discussed. I do wanna just point out a few key things to think about. So metoclopramide is a wonderful medication to help as a prokinetic. It also is a dopamine antagonist, so it can actually help with the nausea and vomiting. Haldol, as you hopefully know from other lectures, is also a dopamine antagonist. We added it here for nausea, but just recognize that I'm not sure you're always gonna need both because they're working through the same mechanism. And for patients who have Parkinsonian disease as another medical condition, you really do need to be careful with these medications. Other side effects just to be aware of and maybe to let your patients know may occur is some akathisia that happens with metoclopramide. That's that kind of ants in your pants feeling that people get. And then for dexamethasone, it can cause some anxiety and some agitation. So let's move on to complete malignant bowel obstruction. As you remember, for partial, our goal was to get the gut moving. For complete bowel obstruction, our goal is shut the gut down. So how do we do that? Again, as we talked about before, we know there's lots of inflammation in the bowel wall. Use your steroids like dexamethasone to try and decrease that inflammation and edema. And here's where it's different than when we talked about partial small, uh, malignant bowel obstruction. Here, we want to add anti-secretory agents.
such as octreotide or anticholinergics. The idea here is we know it's normal for our bowels to just keep pumping out all that fluid into the lumen, and here we want to shut that down. And that's what these anti-secretory agents can do. And let's not forget treating the symptoms. Most importantly, add those antiemetics to try and help with the nausea and vomiting. And here, add the analgesics. We're okay if the analgesics slow the gut down, if they shut it down, because that's our goal when it's complete malignant bowel obstruction. So please, don't have your patients hurt. Add some analgesics to help them feel better. And finally, going back to interventional approaches, this might be a place to think about a venting gastrostomy tube. It allows our patients to take things in orally, to enjoy that sensation of putting taste in their mouth, and then it just comes out the gastrostomy tube so that they don't have all the side effects of trying to push it through the GI tract. I've listed here for you again suggested dosings of all of these medications, and you'll see some can be used subcutaneously, some IV. Um, you'll notice some similar ones. There's that dexamethasone again. There's the haloperidol. But what's in the middle there, the octreotide, the glycopyrrolate, the scopolamine, these are all meds that are anti-secretory. And again, recognize they have side effects. So particularly with the anticholinergics, many of our patients complain of that dry mouth, and that's very uncomfortable. And it gets in the way of their quality of life because they can't speak the way they want to with their loved ones. So you need to be aware of that. Additionally, scopolamine can cross the blood-brain barrier and can cause delirium for our patients. They're wonderful medications to shut the gut down. And they have side effects. So please be aware of them. Finally, let's talk about how do you actually talk about this with your patients and families. For many of them, it's a recognition that their disease is progressing. And that's hard. And it's important to prepare them for this possibility so that they know when it's coming and they know when to call you to ask for help. So if they are having nausea, vomiting, colicky pain, make sure they know this is a time to reach out to you. And then having those really hard conversations with them about, hey, what's important? We know time is short. What do you want to do with that time? So that as you come up with a treatment plan, it's matching their values and their goals. Even if obstruction cannot be fixed, we can make people feel better and hopefully improve their quality of life for the time that they have. So let's go back and talk with Marin Bean's husband again and see how her malignant bowel obstruction treatment was handled as she moved forward with her illness and what the impact was on the quality of life, not only for her, but for her husband and for her kids. Marin went home about a week after Labor Day. She spent seven days here. It was amazing, as amazing as a place like this can be. Um, Marin was eating cornflakes. Um, she was doing great. She, we kind of, 
who did octreotide, Dr. Hudak did octreotide for her you know, bowel symptoms and it gave her a new life. A couple things that Marin said was, I'm living now, I'm eating my cornflakes, I'm playing with the boys. And we went home and in between Labor Day and a couple days after Christmas when she died, we, um, we went to Hocking Hills and rented a cabin and with the kids and some friends and family. Marin and I took a cooking class, and, and she was not able to do any of this during her illness. So in summary, here's what I hope you've learned from Marin Bean's story. First and foremost, treat the cause. Make sure you know the medications you can use and their pharmacokinetics. As we saw in her case, by using octreotide as an infusion, she felt better, and interestingly, she lived longer. We also wanna make sure that we treat the experience. Even if we can slow down those secretions in the gut, there's still gonna be symptoms associated. Can we make sure we're treating nausea, vomiting, and of course, pain? And then finally, recognizing that the treatment plan you come up with needs to be aligned with what's important to the patient and their family. Often with malignant bowel obstruction, we know the prognosis is poor. And so by using the techniques we've talked about today, my hope is that you may help them live better, maybe even live longer, but most importantly, be able to do the things that they wanna do. So remember, treat the cause, and treat the experience. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you'll rate and review this podcast and share it with your colleagues and your friends. So you don't miss any of our new content, make sure you are subscribing to PCIC Podcasts. PCIC is sponsored by PalMed where our aim is to advance palliative care globally and ensure all clinicians have the latest knowledge and skill. To access more PCIC content, please visit palmed.us to review our extensive open access PCIC curriculum.